Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. On this episode of Indie Matters, we have a shorter version of an interview reporter Daniel Rothberg and I did with Blockchain's CEO, Jeff Burns. We get into innovation zones and how Blockchain's plans to make money. After that, we hear from Team Carson City, Riley Snyder and Michelle Rindells, for an update on what's going on at the legislature this week, from bills to suspended rules and more. At the end of the show, assistant editor Michelle Rendells and I chat with our man in D.C., Humberto Sanchez, about what's going on in the nation's capital this week in the wake of several mass shootings and a Senate recess. Reporter Daniel Rothberg and I recently talked with Blockchain's LLC CEO Jeff Burns about his company and the proposed creation of what is being called an innovation zone. We'll get to that in a second, but Daniel and I covered everything from water rights to the company's business model. Let's give a little context to what Blockchain's LLC is. To clear up any confusion, Blockchain Technology and Blockchain's LLC are two different things. To help explain Blockchain Technology, I talked with one of our columnists, David Colborn. I've been working in information technology for probably about 16 years now. Uh, Degree in computer science at the University of Nevada. I think there's a lot of magical thinking that goes on around blockchains more more directly, the technology. Truthfully, there's nothing we do with computers that we haven't been doing by hand for thousands of years. It's just when you're doing it on a computer, you can do it a lot faster. So... You know, in the case of blockchains, like all it is, is it's a database. It is exactly the same type of technology as a SQL database or the kind of database is used to run Facebook or anything else. Blockchains in particular are very specialized. They're designed to be able to run on what's called a peer-to-peer network. That's basically where you get a bunch of strangers' computers together and get them to all communicate and agree with each other for whatever reason to host data. It's one of the advantages of a blockchain. and There's a couple of advantages, but they're very narrow. The first is because you're using a decentralized technology, a peer-to-peer network, you don't have to worry about someone like Amazon Web Services, which recently shut down Parler. Uh, You don't have to worry about someone like a central store of information shutting down your information on you. Another thing to note is that cryptocurrency is based on blockchain technology. These are things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, the two most commonly traded cryptocurrencies. This is notable because it's how Burns made most of his money in trading Ethereum. Before he started Blockchain's LLC, he was a consumer protections attorney. Okay, so now onto the company itself, Blockchain's LLC, that again is different than blockchain technology. Started in 2014 by Burns, we really see Blockchain's LLC come onto the scene in 2018 when they purchased 67,000 acres of land in Story County close to the Tesla Gigafactory, in and around the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center. Burns' goal is to build a new city of the future that would incubate blockchain technology and develop a new stablecoin, which is a type of cryptocurrency that is pegged to a traditional currency such as the dollar. Now to get to the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the Innovation Zone. To explain what an Innovation Zone is, I talked to our legislative reporter, Riley Snyder. So Innovation Zones came out of conversations between Jeff Burns, Story County, and Governor Steve Sisolak. I think there was a dispute over blockchains and Burns' plan for the property that they purchased 
in Story County and what Story County would allow them to do. So essentially what innovation zones are, are a county within a county. It's a self-governing entity that's sort of separate and different from how normal counties operate. For them to be created, you have to have, I think it's like 50,000 acres of congruous land. You have to like commit to a certain amount of investment. You submit an application with the state. The state reviews all this, has a bunch of public meetings. And if they approve it, an innovation zone is created. They have a uh, board of trustees of three people. I don't think they're supposed to be related to anyone who um, puts the innovation zone together, but it eventually takes all of the normal responsibilities and aspects of what a county government would do. So things like school districts, elections, water service, all that kind of stuff would be taken care of in the innovation zone and independent of how Story County works. There's no weird tax incentive thing. To be an innovation zone, you have to kind of promise the state that you're going to have some sort of new technology that you will put some sort of tax or fee on, hence the name innovation zone. But the idea is that you're not getting a better deal on like property taxes or anything like that. There's provisions within this draft bill that they put together to try and keep things whole. But it's basically a way for a technology company like a blockchains or anyone else who this might apply to to sort of do their own thing faster than a local government otherwise would. Okay, so now we've got the backbone of all of this, what the technology is, what the innovation zone is. But one thing that I still wanted to know is what Blockchain's LLC is. How do they make money? Do they have a product or service that they offer? Here's what Burns told us. So we have not made any money and we have not actually figured out where where we will extract fees. My feeling is the minute, and, and we have finance people in the company who, we, you know, they've turned gray because of me. The minute we take other people's money or the minute we start thinking about how we're going to make money, that's where you start moving the line on on what you're trying to accomplish. So I'm fortunate, I, I've, I've funded the business to this date. I will continue to do so until we're ready to start building out the park. Burns did tell us that they have plans for products that let you control and monetize your identity online. And they also have a list of products on their website, but none of them are available yet. How do you get to a point of long-term sustainability? This is sort of a, the smart city development is a long-term 70 yes. year, has a 70 year horizon. So how do you get to that point of sustainability with your company's business model right now? Right, so our products are gonna be released uh, next year. And we will at that point be testing out different things, but we wouldn't be building out the smart city first. We would be building out the, the reimagine and dream park, the R and D park. Okay. And okay. that is going to have companies coming in who want to be part of this process, who want to give us ideas, who want to create, that's going to generate revenue as you know, working together with them. Once we build the city out, the city at that point is no different than any other city. They collect taxes, they pay their people, they vote, they, they, they do everything they would in a county now in Nevada, except the difference is we're creating a place where maybe the infrastructure that government depends upon is new, is different. And you can't do that without changing the current infrastructure and most of the like Story County and most of the counties, why, why are they going to change their infrastructure for something like this? So that's why we need to create this bubble and let people come in. And there's going to be a lot, a lot smarter people than me on things like governance. Like I'm a firm believer that this technology may offer benefits like direct democracy instead of representative government or, or, or 
you know, if, if, if we have the kind of powers we're talking about, you build the smart city knowing that everyone's going to start with a livable wage as opposed to trying to get something passed where, where people aren't willing to do that yet. It's, it gives us the ability to start from scratch and, and, and have new people come in with new ideas. I, I don't anticipate that I would be the one leading this endeavor 10 years from now. Burns mentioned that they first wanted to work on their development of the smart city and innovation park. So the idea of Innovation Park was for people, for entities and people who have these great ideas and, and, and potential who want to come and be part of developing a brand new community that, that's going to be a place where people are part of developing new ideas, where people are part of testing new things. So that was the idea was create this technology park to, to incubate these different ideas, like using blockchain as the foundation for transparency, for payment, for all the things, the ministerial things that companies don't trust each other with. And then create this place where people can live, work, play, vote, do everything they do in their normal communities, but testing out all of these new technologies. Building the smart city innovation park, these grand visions that Burns and Blockchains has are predicated on the state passing the idea of innovation zones, which Riley explained earlier. We we hired the people that were the best people we were told to say, if we accomplish this, what would it mean to the state? And, you know, we went to the county two years ago. They said no. Now we're saying to the state, look, the county doesn't really want us to do this. This is this is the impact on our whole state of what we're attempting to do. Yes, there are hundreds of things that can go wrong, but if it goes right, think of what it could mean for the state. And we think this decision should not be being made by just the county because of the impact it has on the state. I mean, it's a bit of an adversarial relationship than you have with this county that's surrounding you, right? That, that you kind of had to go around them, no? Well, well, yeah, but I think Northern Nevada is notorious for counties not liking each other. So. so. Who pays? Who's paying for all of this? Who's going to pay for all this infrastructure, these new energy lines? Is that going to be passed down to the consumer? You know, and the same goes with water. It's so, it is very expensive to import water. Sort of- well, we have, right? We've already spent over a quarter of a billion dollars on land and water. Right, right? Presumably as a company, you're going to want that money back. So how are you going to, you know- well, yeah. So eventually, like I said, we'll figure out how we're going to monetize certain things like your identity. If, if you're going to be using our vaults to store your information, will there be a fee for that? We'll, we'll, we'll figure all of those, those parts of it out as we go. We don't, we don't know yet, but when we build out the park, you're talking about over $10 billion. That is certainly not something blockchain will do. We will raise private money to build it out but there won't be public money. We have the state infrastructure bank, which is being spun up, which, uh, which allows for pension money and, and private investment that way. We, we have the tokenization of building, which is specific to the blockchain industry that we're looking at. So I don't know yet how we're going to raise the money. I haven't got that far. Colborn, who we heard from at the beginning of this, was talking about building an innovation zone around a specific technology like blockchain technology, which Blockchain's LLC uses. He has been skeptical of blockchain's LLC and the idea of innovation zones. Probably the biggest thing I want to stress, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency blockchains, the technology are not magic. Okay. They're, they're not. 
And this is one thing about the about the innovation zones. It is a little irritating. Is you know, blockchain technology is just database technology. That's it. It's a special kind of database technology, but it's just database technology. So if you're going to sit there and you're going to build an innovation zone around technology, it'd be like building an innovation zone around moisture evaporating robots or protocol droids or you know astromechs instead of robotics like they actually did in the proposed legislation. It's just really, really narrow. I understand politics well enough to know that, hey, hype happens. People follow the trends. And I understand, you know, the, the technology isn't magic. It's really not. And, you know, just take a little bit of time, see, figure out what family a technology belongs to. And if you do that, you're going to you're going to find it a lot easier to make good policy choices. We finally asked Burns why lawmakers should pass this idea of innovation zones. What will it do for the state and for the company? All we're saying is give us give us a chance to 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 prove this out. We're not asking for any money. We're trying to absorb all the risks. We're trying to prevent. I get the ask, meaning we're trying to pull out of Story County's local governance and having a state oversee us, which we're transparent well, no, not, about. No, it's not the state overseeing you. It's a political subdivision that the state is giving sovereign powers to. So it's not, I mean, there is state oversight, but it's not the state. I mean, it's not the state overseeing it you. Gives so, it doesn't give over, it doesn't give self-sovereignty to us until we meet certain thresholds, right? And, 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 it's but no different. Than, I mean, eventually, eventually it's going to be a democratically elected community. I mean, uh, representatives, it's, it's going to run no different than any other county in, in the state. But right now there isn't any voters. There isn't anybody to to say, what do you think over over the land that we're talking about doing? So, I, OK, yes, it is an ask that way. I think more, though, this is not an ask where I'm saying uh, state, take a risk financially, state. You know, do something that potentially can harm you. What I'm trying to say is let me create a bubble where we can we can test this out. We'll bear all the responsibility. We'll we'll pay all the money. And if it works, look at the potential. If it fails, who did it? Who did it cost? It's not like we have incentives or abatements. It's not like we're it fails and people have their money in a stable coin. what, What happens to them? Well, the stable coin has nothing to do with the smart city, but it, but but the stable coin, it's in a federally insured bank, the money. So the stable, okay. it has nothing to do with that. It's just a tool that would be used in the, in the smart city, but it would be like a development that failed that, that, you know, that would be what it would be like. But if that happened, it's all of our money. It's, we haven't taken anything. So look, I guess really, Daniel, this, this would be how I, I would end and, and say this. We're not trying to hide anything. We're not, we're not trying to do anything. That, we're trying to be very transparent. We're basically saying, look, we, we can't build this under the confines of local government. This is, this is the result if we're successful. These are the risks if we're not successful. Decide if you want to take that chance. And it is a chance. But Nevada is known for taking chances. When you tell us we can't do something, we do it. So there is no better state that I can think of to try something like this out. And, and, and I hope that the legislators will, will give us that chance. I'd be honored if they do. As for now, there is still no bill at the legislature for Innovation Zones at the time of releasing this podcast. If anything with Innovation Zones does happen, we'll be sure to report on it, and you can find that reporting on our website, thenevadaindependent.com. 
This interview with Jeff Burns was part of a much longer interview that Daniel and I did with him. If you'd like to hear the entire hour and 37 minutes of the interview, where we get into a lot more detail about stablecoin and water rights, you can find that on our YouTube channel, as well as a story that Daniel and I worked on headlined Blockchain's CEO discusses lobbying efforts for new city, company funding, efforts to acquire water in rural Nevada, claims about technology. The segment was produced by Daniel Rothberg and myself, Joey Lovato, as well as edited by me with editing help from Michelle Rendells. So we're here today in Carson City. This is Michelle Rendells. I'm with my colleague, Riley Snyder. And... We're just going to give you a brief recap of what happened at the legislature this week and what to expect. There was a very interesting hearing this week related to tenants' rights and the relationship between landlords and tenants. Can you tell us a little bit about how that hearing went? Yeah, so I watched a hearing on Wednesday about tenants trying to keep their security deposits. If you've ever rented a place, you might have had a struggle with your landlord when you get to the end of your lease and suddenly they have a list of deficiencies. Uh, maybe the carpet isn't as good as it was when you moved in or, you know, some things are, are kind of falling off their hinges and they want to keep the entire security deposit. So Senator Julie Ratty, a, a Democrat from Sparks and someone who last session took on a rather controversial tenants rights measure that earned her the ire of a lot of realtors, came back this session with one that would give tenants more rights to keep their security deposit. So basically it says there's a presumption a rebuttable presumption that the tenant did not damage the property. And it's on the landlord to prove that whatever they're alleging was something that was beyond normal wear and tear. There's also a an option that the tenant can request an inspection before they move out. Because oftentimes, if they identify all these deficiencies after you're already moved out of the place, how do you prove them wrong? So that would just give people a little more leverage so that they could get this $1,000 or whatever their security deposit is and put that towards their next housing unit. This bill, it has a couple other provisions that landlords are really, really upset about. And so we heard a lot of that. One theme that's kind of interesting is we're hearing a lot from landlords that these types of protections are going to cause landlords to get out of the landlording business. And they say, you know, we're already losing housing. It's already hard to find affordable housing. And if landlords go away, then people are not going to be able to find a place to live. You know, Senator Ratty's response to that is that, okay, you know, the market's doing really well right now. If a landlord sells their home, it's probably because they're getting a really good deal by selling it. And it's not necessarily because we have additional tenant protections. So we saw some fireworks there. I think we're in a period where there's, we're at a low point, I think, in landlord-tenant relations in the state of Nevada, particularly because we've got a pandemic going on. We've got an eviction moratorium going on. And there's a lot of tension related to landlords feeling like their tenants are maybe taking advantage of them and tenants feeling, you know, desperate and, and people having trouble getting rental assistance. So there's a lot going on in that sphere. Obviously a lot going on in the landlord-tenant space. Any other bills or news, particularly about the eviction moratorium coming up that you can talk about that might also affect this whole broader issue of affordable housing? 
Yeah, Riley. So I reached out to the governor's office to see, you know, do you guys have a plan in terms of extending the eviction moratorium? Because we're heading up against March 31st. That's the deadline when the, the moratorium goes away. The governor's spokesperson said they're watching the situation very closely. They're seeing what the CDC might do because there has been evidence that the CDC may be trying to extend their federal moratorium. So I get the sense that they're kind of waiting on uh, what the CDC CDC ends up doing before taking action at the state level. But, you know, it, it leaves a void of information here. I mean, here we are. We're, we're a week away, less than a week by the time this podcast comes out. And folks need to know if April 1st, they're going to be taken to court and facing an eviction. And as we've previously reported, Janelle wrote a story about this last week. Rental assistance has been very slow to get out, especially in Clark County. I mean, they have tens of thousands of people who have applied for help uh, and are essentially going to be eligible for eviction immediately when this lifts. And, and the processing pace, it's, it's about 1700 a week. So, I mean, they're, they're at least 10 weeks behind on getting some of these people paid. Riley, you covered something this week about remote learning and basically an effort to try to allow people to proceed with distance learning if they like it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So State Superintendent Joan Ebert and Senator Mo Dennis, who's a Democrat from Las Vegas, held a press conference on Tuesday to talk about a bill that came out recently that essentially requires every school district in the state put a formal plan in place for distance learning moving forward. The whole impetus of this is they're saying that school districts have learned a lot of lessons through the COVID pandemic and through delivering instruction through Zoom online, and they want to be sure that moving forward, even though if you're a parent and you're listening to this, you probably never want to hear the words distance learning or Zoom ever again, because uh, it's been a huge headache, I think, for a lot of parents. You know, there really is a future for sort of this online space and learning. So this bill also removes some restrictions on distance learning plans in larger counties that are in state law. And it requires districts to have these plans for distance learning moving forward. This doesn't mean your student is automatically going to be enrolled in a distance learning program. But the idea is to kind of try and change the framework of how schools approach distance learning. One thing they're looking at is what's called competency-based education. So they relaxed some language there. But that's where if you're doing really well in math, you can go faster in math. You can finish your math class. You don't have to wait the entire semester. If you're having a hard time in science, you can take a longer time. It's progressing through grades and through material based on your competency as opposed to just a semester or trimester schedule. So there's a lot of things that they're trying to take out silver linings from the COVID pandemic and related education issues. Obviously, there's a lot more bills in the legislature dealing with learning loss over the past year. But this was an interesting one because it is sort of looking at kind of the silver lining of how we're going to approach education after all this nuttiness in the past year. That bill actually is a good uh, segue into next week because it is up for a hearing next week. There's also a, another important deadline that we didn't mention earlier, but it is the start of budget closing. So the way I usually describe this is that the legislature operates on two tracks. There's policy, so guns, etc. <laughs> you know, the, the big policy issues. And then there's the budget track. So lawmakers for the past 50 odd days have focused on hearing details of the budget. And now they're going to start closing the budget. There's a lot of questions here, especially given the vast amount of federal aid that we're supposed to get with the truncated timeline of the session. So as budgets start to close, it gets harder to go back in and backfill potential cuts that might be approved by lawmakers. So 
there's a lot of balls in the air, but that juggling process is going to get started next week. Yeah, and I think the federal stimulus is a huge open question because when I ask how it's going to be used, um, it doesn't seem like anybody really knows what's going on. So I, I think we're going to have to wait for, for people to kind of get their ducks in the row on what's where the, where all that money is going to go. I think that should cover it for today's Envy Ledge Roundup. And please be sure to subscribe to the Behind the Bar newsletter and check our site, which is chock full of legislative coverage at this time of the year. Thanks so much for sticking with us. All right, welcome to another edition of the DC Debrief, a audio version of the DC Download, which you can read on Saturdays. And I'm joined by our reporter in DC, Humberto Sanchez, award-winning reporter, by the way. And I'm also with uh, assistant editor, Michelle Rendells. Hey, guys. Uh, Hi, Humberto. Congrats on the award. Humberto just won an award um, for regional reporting. So this is for reporters that are based in DC and focusing on a specific region, as you know, Humberto gives a Nevada perspective on all that's happening in DC. So it's just an invaluable service that you're doing. And I'm so glad that you won that award. What we wanted to start off with is of course, in probably about less than a week, we've seen two mass shootings. You know, it was almost like we had a reprieve from that during the pandemic. And here we are again, more of these uh, mass shootings, one in in Georgia and the other one this week in Boulder, Colorado. What's been the reaction in DC in terms of how we need to respond with this policy-wise? It's not too surprising that everybody's kind of retreated to their partisan corners. We got tweets and and, and statements from our, our Democrats and our delegation basically calling out for Congress to act, to do something. And Republicans is saying, you know, the opposite. Don't use it as an example to crack down on people's gun rights. This happens after every shooting where we see this kind of uh, please do something and uh, I guess this stalemate, I should say. And so we're going to see, but we are going to see the Senate try, uh, try to do something. The Senate is going on recess for two weeks. They'll be back uh, the week of April 12th. And there's a slew of agenda items that they're going to do in that next work period. And that is to do something on background checks. The House passed a, an expanded background checks bill, basically on a party line vote in uh, last week. And so we're going to we're going to see the Senate try to do something right now. There doesn't appear to be the, the 60 votes needed to advance anything. And the, the Republicans have a lot of problems with the, the House passed bill. One particular provision would would ban gun purchases for misdemeanor stalking and domestic con- abuse convictions. Right now, the law only does that for felony stalking and domestic abuse convictions. So, you know, Republicans have argued that. This, you don't want to crack down on, on law-abiding citizens' ability to get guns unnecessarily, and, and they think that this would do that. Other than other than uh, gun control and, and you know everything with the, that's going on with the shootings, what else have we seen going on this week? And you know, I know there's a lot of stuff coming up as well. Yeah, this this week basically was a, a chance for Senate Democrats to figure out what what they're going to do next. And right now they're going on, on recess for two weeks, but when they come back, they're going to do, they have a, a big laundry list of things to do, which includes their voting rights and election campaign reform bill, which is a, a big deal. And again, would, would expand voting rights in, in the face of a lot of Republican legislatures, which are trying to crack down on voting rights, according to who you are, Democrats, I should say. And so we'll, we'll see what, how far that gets. And then they want to do something on infrastructure. They want to do something on manufacturing. They want to do something on immigration. 
and uh, and guns. So it's it's a big laundry list. And Humberto, can you talk about kind of this moment that we're in? You know, shortly after an election, before the the full fledged campaign year. I mean, are are Democrats really set on sort of seizing the maybe the high water mark they're at? before the next election to get certain policy priorities passed? No doubt. They, they, they're, right now, they're, they're trying to... The House has been very busy passing all, all of these Democratic agenda items like the gun, the, the gun bill, the voting rights bill. They're going to do an infrastructure bill. And they did the COVID relief bill, which is huge. So they're doing everything they can to basically seize the moment, right? Because before too long, we're going to be looking at 2022 I think maybe into the fall, we'll start, we'll, we'll see a lot more about that. And uh, that election is going to be critical. Republicans think that they uh, have a really good chance of winning back the majority in the Senate and the House. So, so right now, yeah, it's, it's, it's time for Democrats to act, to try to, to get as much as done as they can in this, in this kind of closing window that's, uh, that they're in right now. Mm-hmm. So again, that, that really raises the question on whether they're going to do anything on the filibuster because the Senate is the real hurdle. Joe Biden had his first formal press conference today since being elected. Did anything stand out to you about what went on during that presser? I, I thought it was interesting that he did mention the filibuster for so long. He, he was such a kind of a Senate institutionalist. He'd served in the chamber for 30 years. And, and when you speak of guys who serve, guys are folks who served with Biden, I mean, they're they're the type of, of senator that'll tell you that it's, it's it's as important to stop stuff as it is to pass stuff, which makes the filibuster, you know, super important to those guys. And so it's just, it was interesting to see him now that he's in the executive branch to say, hey, you know, we, maybe we should do something about this and to come around. Because for, for the longest time, he really he really didn't want to change the institution. And to, and to change it would fundamentally change how the Senate works. So I, I thought that was a big deal. All right. Well, Humberto, thank you so much for giving us giving us a debrief on what's going on in DC. And I forgot to ask you how the weather is this week. <laughs> it's it rained yesterday, but it was it was in the almost sixties. It's it's actually kind of pleasant. It's getting a little. We're at the beginning of the stickiness. I would say month. it's very similar <laughs> here. Actually, are the cherry blossoms out yet? Not quite yet. I can't remember when they they there's a there's a tracker. They will tell you when peak blossom is going to come, and I haven't checked it lately. But I have a tree, a tulip magnolia in the back. It's pretty spectacular. I'm jealous. <laughs> all, right, all right, Humberto. Well, congratulations on the Regional Reporting Award, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Jeff Burns, David Colborn, Daniel Rothberg, Riley Snyder, Michelle Rundells, and Humberto Sanchez for being on the show this week. Leave us a review wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, we're on all the platforms. Also, share the show with a friend or on social media. It helps the show grow so we can continue to bring you fantastic interviews and updates every week. Email us with any questions, comments, concerns, praise, movie suggestions, exercise tips, or whatever else is on your mind. You can reach me at joey at thenvindie.com and Jacob is at jacob at thenvindie.com. Reno band People With Bodies wrote and performed our original theme song. If you want to hear more of their music, you can find them on Spotify or Bandcamp. There was additional music in today's episode by our own Joey Lovato. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week.
So can you just explain to me like what the proposal is? No. All right. Keep that in.